Hello and welcome to The Why Podcast, a new series from Think at London Business School in which faculty talk about their research and what it means for you and your business. I'm your host, Cathy Brewis, and for this episode, my guest is Julian Birkinshaw, Professor of Strategy and Entrepreneurship at London Business School. He's written 15 books about management, including Fast Forward and Becoming a Better Boss. Today, we're going to explore his article, The Blinkered Boss, How Has Managerial Behaviour Changed with the Shift to Virtual Working, which he wrote with Maya Goodker, an executive coach at London Business School, and Vittorio D'Amato from Luke Business School. Hi, Julian. Thanks for being here today. So we've read a lot about the impact of virtual working on employees and productivity. We know most people are working just as hard and often enjoying their jobs more, but they're also missing these water cooler moments of connection. But you've looked into something different, how managers are behaving differently. Why did you want to do that? Yeah, I thought that it was interesting to to document what was happening to managerial behaviour, the way that managers and leaders spend their time as we went through this huge social experiment of working from home. Because obviously at the time the COVID started, we had no idea how long that would perpetuate. And so what I did was I took a couple of studies that I had done previously, because I've been studying management behavior for years. And I said to myself, what would happen if we kind of replicate those studies, just in terms of the way that we conducted the studies during the lockdown period and compared the results to what came afterwards? Because that, if you think about it, is a much more kind of rigorous way of understanding what's going on than rather than just saying to people, well, tell me how you think things might have changed. We could actually document in a systematic way, this is what they did before, this is what they did during lockdown. So that was that was the methodology, that was the inspiration behind it. I was trying to make sense, essentially, of the way that leaders and managers act in their workplace and whether that's actually effective or not. And there are various ways that you sort of measure effectiveness through these different questions that you've asked. Can you just describe your sort of methodology, so the surveys that you did? Yeah, so I'll quickly go through all three in terms of what I measured and what the, what the findings were, and then perhaps we can interpret those findings. The first study was actually a a study of how managers spend their time, literally, what are they doing in the course of the day? And so the methodology was to get people to essentially open up their Outlook calendar and to go through, you know, I spent an hour here doing this meeting, I spent half an hour responding to emails, I spent two hours with a client or whatever, and to try to find a kind of representative uh, couple of days in the calendar and for each of those activities to say how important it was, whether it's something I got any sort of personal value out of, did I enjoy doing it or was it a real drag? Is this something I could have delegated? And what we were trying to do there, of course, was to to really just get a flavor of whether managers are spending their time on productive tasks or not. The study we did pre-pandemic, it was fascinating to see that a lot of managers were actually kind of wasting their time on, first of all, meetings that that they were called into, uh, and also to a large degree kind of just sort of trapped at their desk doing desk jobs that, that they probably could have outsourced to a subordinate. And so we had that data from, you know, mid-2010s, 
And then we looked at what happened during lockdown. And, and I'll just give you the kind of the bottom line here. First of all, people were being in some ways more effective in terms of choosing what they did. They were not being called into quite so many meetings. I mean, of course, this is on average. Some, some individuals found themselves in lockdown in perpetual meetings. But for a lot of these people who were what we call knowledge workers, who were really working on things to do with their professional expertise, a lot of these people were actually being much more effective during lockdown because they had that much more control over their day-to-day lives. Uh, and indeed, we're spending more time, for example, with clients than in the previous round of the study. So that was one finding. But the, the, the second finding was, was actually the more important one, which was almost because they were in charge of their own destiny, sitting at their computer rather than in an office where somebody's dragging them into a meeting. They felt like they were in more control. And then when we asked them questions about, are you doing work that matters, that, that's valuable to you? Are you doing work that matters to your company? They said, yes, absolutely, we are. Dramatically greater sort of impact in terms of people believing that they're doing work that matters. And there's an academic theory behind this. It's called self-determination theory, which basically says, if people think that they're in charge of their destiny, if they feel they've got autonomy in their work, they will almost always be more involved in that work, feel that somehow it's valuable, and chances are they'll do a better job. So that was that was what came out of the first study. I'm quite surprised that they're feeling more in control, given that they can't see the people who are working for them. Yeah. And it's a weird mix, isn't it? Because on the one hand, I'm more in control because... I'm literally kind of in my own little office and if I want to shut off my computer, no one can actually kind of grab me and tell me what I'm doing. On the other hand, I have less control, both looking up at my boss and looking down at my subordinates because I can't see them and I can't really kind of monitor what they're doing in quite the way that I used to. So you're absolutely right. I mean, we were being pulled in sort of two different directions during that lockdown period. And this is, remember, this is 2020 now. And I will completely acknowledge that depending on the type of job you were doing, you either found yourself, you know, completely swamped and completely lacking in control and on a runaway train, or you actually found this a remarkably kind of attractive period in your working life where suddenly all those interferences were gone and you could just get on and do the work that you wanted to do. Yeah, and you, and you say in the article at some point um, that there are these new freedoms that, you know, for a lot of people it was quite liberating. Yeah, completely. So that was the first study. Great. So tell me about the second and the third studies. Yeah, so the second study was, it was survey-based. So we were asking managers, leaders to evaluate how effective they believe themselves to be in all of the different aspects of their work. And I I mean everything. I mean, in terms of how they're managing their relationships with their teams, how good they are at sort of self-reflecting, how good they are at managing their time, how good they are at looking into the future, thinking strategically, talking to clients. I mean, the whole, the whole mix. And again, we had data from 2019 pre-pandemic. And then we had data from 2020 during the pandemic. And again, just to kind of cut to the chase, if you kind of boil the data down and put it into three kind of buckets, bucket number one is how good we are 
at doing what I'm going to call cognitive or reflective work. So this is the stuff you do sitting at your desk, reflecting, reading up on things, writing reports, the stuff you can do on your own. That's the first bucket. The second bucket is what we can call task-based work, getting things done. So this is a team meeting where we are scheduling activities. We're making sure everybody's delivered on what they said they're done. You know, we're working through a Gantt chart or, uh, or working on a kind of a backlog of projects or whatever. So that's task-oriented, action-oriented work. That's the second bucket. And then the third bucket is the people-oriented parts of your job, trying to get the best out of the people who work for you. So that is, uh, you know, having difficult conversations with a few of them when things aren't going well, cheering them up, kind of motivating them, trying to make sure that they are seeing opportunities for personal development, all the people stuff that, that we know is part of any manager's job. And the bottom line is that during lockdown, when we were physically removed from the people around us, people said, generally speaking, the cognitive reflective work, I'm doing that better. Because of course, we, as we already said, there were fewer intrusions on our day-to-day -day life. When it came to task work, getting things done, on average, a little bit better. In other words, the ability to schedule and, and complete tasks when we're working remotely actually is fine. But the third bucket, which was the people-oriented pieces, and in this I also include, by the way, some of the more creative things we do about kind of coming up with new ideas together. Uh, that is where they were failing. And I don't think that's a huge surprise to anyone, but we had statistical proof that essentially all those tasks around getting the most out of our people, managing the complex conversations, creative work, and so forth, people were rating themselves as substantially less effective than before. Mm. It's quite clear that some people were working doubly hard to try to get their employees motivated and to overcome the problems of a lack of connectivity, but that on average, people were not doing that stuff as well. So that's the second study. The third study, I'll just take that now because it's, it's very closely related to the second study, because it was about not what am I doing today or, or this week, but it was how am I trying to plan my personal development? And again, you can actually break down personal development into those three buckets because one aspect of personal development is I need to read more. I need to find out what's happening in the world. I need to, you know, attend a bunch of, of webinars to try to help me figure out what competitors and others are doing. Uh, that's the cognitive aspect of development. There's a sort of an action-oriented part of development, which is around trying to almost like learn from my day-to-day -day work experience. And we all sort of intuitively know what that looks like. And we also intuitively know that that does tend to be something that works quite well in an office environment. And then the third category is my personal development with regard to my relationships with other people. So let me be very clear what I'm saying here is, as a leader, I become more effective by trying things out, seeing how other people react to them, and changing my behavior as a result. I'm kind of learning in the moment. I'm building a sense of who I am as a leader. I'm building my own identity as a leader by responding to feedback I'm getting from people who work for me. Sometimes it's an executive coach who's giving me that feedback, but very often it's feedback in the moment from the people around me. And similar to study number two, study number three showed that 
our own personal and professional development as leaders. During lockdown, no surprise, we were quite good at you know reading the books and, and attending the webinars because that stuff can be done online as well as it can be done anywhere. But they were really falling down in terms of developing through their conversations and their interactions with others. So for me, there's a hugely important thing there. Not only is it difficult to manage people online, which we knew, it turns out that as we start to move our careers forward, look for ways of becoming more effective as leaders of others, that proper feedback we get face-to-face is a vital part of that. There's a whole academic theory around that sort of situated learning, it's called, which is the idea that, and you don't have to be a senior manager to experience this, any sort of basic learning you get in your job, uh, as almost as an apprentice to a master, is almost always done better in the live setting. You know, when you're seeing what the master is doing, you're figuring out how they respond to difficult problems, you are trying things out yourself. So there you go. That's the bottom line from the, the study. Yeah, no, I can totally see that. All that just learning on the job, you know, whatever level you're at, you're, watching, you're seeing people around you and you're, you just absorb some of their wisdom, basically. I'm really struck when you're talking about just how different management is from past generations, even, even in the fact of people taking these surveys and having to be really quite self-aware, looking at how they're doing on these various scores, you know, and their own development and, you know, their people skills and their interactions and that kind of thing. I mean, it's just so different from, you know, way back when, isn't it? Getting the stuff done. Yeah, there has been a sea change in sort of leadership development over, I mean, it's probably a 20-year process, but it's hard to put a number on it, whereby this aspect of sort of self-awareness, personal identity, who am I, as a kind of sort of foundation for my ability to actually, you know, do my job well with others. Some people think we've gone a little bit crazy in terms of bringing so much psychology and with sort of self-help into the workplace. But there is actually pretty good evidence that the, that the managers, the leaders who do take their own selves seriously in terms of who they are and how they respond to feedback and how they learn and develop, they are actually almost always going to do a better job with others. Yeah, it's not just kind of, are you getting the work done? It's, you know, what kind of leader are you being? It's a different kind of pressure in a way, I guess. You no, know, it's hugely pressure because, I mean, and it, indeed, you know, we sometimes, some leaders sort of struggle with that. But I actually think that, you know, if you're looking for what are the things that derail leaders, I mean, some of them derail because they are completely oblivious, if you like, about their effect on others. And indeed, on what effects some of this stuff is having on on them as individuals. So yeah, I mean, it's it plays to London Business School and other business school strengths, but we we absolutely are building a lot more behavioural psychology into our understanding of what makes for good leadership. And so, thinking about sort of you know now we're moving into this hybrid world of work where people are sort of sometimes in the office under your nose and sometimes not. What sort of advice do you have for leaders now in terms of how to make the most of this and get the best out of themselves and their people? So there's one straightforward set of consequences from my research, which indeed I think most people have now internalised, which is that when we are working from home, we have to work doubly hard to make sure we have those sort of conversations with our colleagues that are kind of checking conversations. It's not all just task, task, task. We do need to find time to have 
slightly less structured conversations, not always on Zoom. Sometimes it's it's just a phone call or whatever, in order to to make sure that we are taking care of the, the people side of our work as well as the practice side of the work. So that is all now kind of, I would say, quite well understood. Today, where we are, as we move into what we can call hybrid working or blended working, where you know most companies are now getting their people back into the offices a few days a week, but there is still some opposition to that. I do have a couple of thoughts. Thought one is we do have to be quite thoughtful about how we use that time when we are together, because it became very clear in the pandemic that Look, if I want to have a proper feedback review session with you as an individual, Zoom is actually pretty good for that because it's high enough quality that I can, if I know you reasonably well, actually get into some fairly emotionally intense things over Zoom. However, Zoom is really terrible for those free-flowing, unstructured, divergent, creative conversations uh, where we don't know where things are going to go. So, my point is those divergent creative conversations have to take place in the workplace when we're face to face. So make sure when you're working with your teams that you actually plan those days when you're all in the office to make maximum use of them. So that's that's thought number one, as I said. Thought number two, and this is actually very, very sort of live right now in terms of how do we get people back to the office? Do we get people back to the office? A lot of our colleagues are saying to themselves, well, I work pretty well in a remotely and my default is now working from home. So I need to be given a good reason to show up in the office. And unless you give me that, I'm just going to keep working from home. And my, my answer to that is that in the short run, you absolutely can do your job remotely, but you are hurting yourself in the medium term because, and I think some American investment bankers said this best. The people who are continuing to work remotely are in, in his language, are in job land. And the people who show up in their office are in career land. And, and what he meant by that was in order to do more than your job, you know, your narrowly defined job, to do this sort of extra role behaviors, the stuff that actually makes you a valuable member of the team, you have to be around those people. You have to see that somebody's struggling and you're helping them out. You have to hear the conversations and say, you know, that's a project I want to get involved with. If you want to actually fulfill the full potential of your role, you need to be actually in a co-working space with your colleagues. And so if you're thinking about having a career where you find the learning opportunities, where you're given the opportunities to move into new, more exciting roles, you better actually show up in the office. And that's good for you and it's good for the company. So my point is we've got to try to have that conversation with people that says, what sort of person do you want to be? You can be essentially a freelancer. And indeed, freelancers have existed for, for decades. There are people who, before the pandemic, did all of their work from home because they had one job and they did it well. But those of you who want to have a career and want to expand and enlarge your opportunities then you better start showing up because I simply can't help you otherwise. So that's that for me is a, a really important sort of shift in the conversation that we need to start having. Mm. And you talk in the article about designing your hybrid working arrangements carefully. 
And I, it's funny seeing, you know, like meetings where people try and do hybrid meetings where some people are on a screen and some people are in the room. And, you know, there's lots of sort of slightly clunky attempts to do this at the moment, aren't there? And I don't have any academic research to kind of support my kind of intuition on this, but I've been in many of those meetings, as have you and, and all our listeners. And it is absolutely true that the hybrid meeting doesn't really work very well. You, you never completely bottom out this question about who is this meeting for? If, if it's basically a, a virtual meeting with a few people together, that's fine, but it's actually less good. I am now moving to the view that you know, that you, you badge in advance whether a meeting is actually basically a virtual meeting or a face-to-face meeting. And if it's actually a face-to-face meeting, the guys who are tuning in from, from wherever they are, they're basically passive listeners. They're not really active contributors. And I'm starting to privilege, if you like, the people in the room. And we're doing that in our teaching at LBS and we're doing it in our meetings. And the, the hope is that we gradually persuade those people who are working remotely that, that it really is in their interests to start showing up for those meetings. Yeah. And then just coming back to the, sort of the, the actual getting the work done, because one of your other recommendations is about, you know, you talk about sort of embracing the new freedoms and giving really clear, inspiring objectives and delegating more and also measuring output. And I think you give Siemens as, a, as an example. Could you just tell us about that? Yeah, I mean, look, Siemens was one of now dozens of companies who've done this, but but essentially the shift to virtual working is a mechanism to sort of do what we should have been doing all along, which is as a leader, manager of others, you should not be monitoring kind of inputs in terms of is this person sitting at their desk? You should be structuring their work in a way that allows them to figure out their own way of doing that work. And this has been kind of good leadership practice forever. And the uh, pandemic was a mechanism to provide impetus for it. So let me put it in a slightly different way. Many of us are sort of micromanagers on top of our subordinates, not because we're naturally micromanagers, but just because we've been a little bit lazy at setting up the work. We haven't bothered to sit down with somebody in advance to say, you know, this is a project or a task I want you to do. This is what success looks like. And now let me encourage you to bring your own creativity to bear in coming up with with the best way of doing it. And especially new managers as well. People who are new managers who are, they're used to doing, maybe doing the tasks themselves and they have to let go and really change their whole approach. Exactly. And that's the, the biggest challenge for a new manager, as you say, is learning to let go because they've been so used to to taking full responsibility of things. So so for me, it's um, it's always just a, takes us back to one of those timeless lessons about what good management looks like. It's about learning to let go and and giving people responsibility and not not stealing their decision-making opportunities, if you see what I mean. I love that. I just want to mention this quote from Warren Buffett that you uh, include in the article about managers feeling very exposed when the pandemic hit. And he said, he said uh, when the tide goes out, we can see who's swimming naked, which I thought was uh, slightly terrifying for a lot of people. Good that you're including these tips for people. So you're basically providing lots of appropriate swimwear so they can... <laughs> no, indeed, you can play out the metaphor, right? Because obviously Warren Buffett was saying any idiot can make money in a rising stock market, but you prove you're a good money manager when you make money in a down market. And yeah, likewise, I think it is true that that the pandemic has exposed some managers, leaders, in terms of whether they actually know what they're doing or not. Yeah. Uh, and indeed, I saw some great examples in the worst of the pandemic, as well as many, many people who were really struggling. 
Yeah, yeah, it definitely shows up who's actually adding value and who's just going to lots of meetings and looking important. Correct, exactly. Well, thanks very much, Julian. It's been uh, really interesting hearing your thoughts. Thank you very much. It's, it's always a pleasure to talk about my research. So one clear takeaway from all that is even if you're the kind of person that loves working from home most of the time, it's really in your interest to go into an office at least some of the time and show up in person because your physical presence is going to make a difference in terms of your ongoing career and the influence you're going to have. The Why podcast is brought to you by the editorial team at Think at London Business School. Follow us here for more episodes on iTunes, Spotify or SoundCloud. And for more faculty research insights, go to london.edu forward slash think. You can also sign up there for our free regular email newsletter to get tips, tools and news for our alumni direct to your inbox. And finally, don't forget to leave us a review or a rating. That helps new listeners find us. Thanks so much for listening and have a great day. Bye.